Jesus Christ was not the Messiah because he fulfilled prophecy, but rather he fulfilled prophecy because he was the Messiah. The prophet Isaiah, his writings contain prophecy after prophecy about the Messiah and, and what his life and what his death uh, would mean for us. In fact, in Isaiah, four times in Isaiah, we, we find what are called the servant songs. They're prophecies about Jesus Christ. They were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But we've been looking at those over the past few weeks. And the first week we looked at Isaiah 42 where we find the kingly servant uh, who brings justice. And then we looked at Isaiah 49 where we learned about the prepared servant who is prepared by God to fulfill his mission. And at the end of that second servant song in Isaiah 49, God says to his servant in verse 6, he says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And the really profound part of all of this, as Gary Smith writes, is the servant is not just a means of getting God's salvation to the ends of the earth. Somehow, he himself is God's salvation. Sunday, we looked at how God intends to get that message of salvation to the entire world. But tonight, we want to begin to look at how he himself, God's servant, Jesus Christ, actually becomes God's salvation. We want to look at Isaiah chapter 50 and the third servant song. Beginning in verse 4, the servant himself speaks. He says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. A well-instructed tongue is an interesting term to use here. What it means is the idea that God has given him words of wisdom. But he's given him words of wisdom for a specific purpose, and that specific purpose is to speak words of comfort to the weary. In the last servant song, we saw where God had given his servant a tongue that was like a sharpened sword, one that he would be able to use to proclaim with authority the word of God. But here we have the fact that he's given an instructed tongue, one that he is to use compassionately to bring comfort to the weary, to sustain those who are in trouble. And we see it over and over in Jesus' ministry. Jesus was full of compassion and he spoke accordingly to the sinful. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. To the weary, he said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. To the sorrowful, he said, your grief will be turned to joy. To the sick, he said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. To the lonely, he said, I will never leave you. Or forsake you. To the afraid, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. And to those who have no hope, he said, I have come that you might have life. And that you might have it to the full. How did Jesus speak these words? Well, he tells us here that, that God awakened him every morning. 
And that, that God opened his ears to hear the instruction that God had for him. We read in John 12, 50, where Jesus says, I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. But unfortunately, Israel didn't want to pay attention to what God had to say. And while his words of compassion were welcomed by many, they were, were very much rejected and resented by others. And Israel didn't just reject his words, but they also rejected him. And regardless, the servant, though, didn't turn his back on what God had planned for him. God knew, the servant knew God's plan. He didn't turn his back on it. He didn't turn his back in spite of the rejection. He remained faithful to God. But this audience became more and more hostile to the point where they sought his death. And so for the first time, even though the servant in, in the other servant songs has hinted at the fact that there was opposition to his message, here we find in this servant song for the first time where the servant suffers at the hands of men. Isaiah 50 verse 6. The servant says, I offered my back to those who beat me. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And this prophecy is vividly fulfilled in Jesus' arrest and trial. We read in Mark 14, beginning in verse 64, the high priest says, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. In John 19, beginning in verse 1, we read, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped his face. Fulfilling the servant prophecy, we find that in spite of all of this, in spite of all of this, Jesus did it willingly. The servant says, I gave my back to those who would smite me. In the midst of all this abuse, there are no cries of protest. There are no cries of innocence. There's no weeping. There's no calling on God to bring down vengeance on those who persecute him. He accepts the mistreatment. And in accordance with the prophecy, he doesn't hide his face in order to avoid the pain and the punishment or to protect himself from the abuse. How in the world can he possibly do this? How in the world can, can someone actually stand for all of this abuse without responding in some way, without crying out, without protesting, without fighting back? How in the world can someone do this? Well, if you remember from the other servant songs, the servant was very confident. Not only that God had called him and had appointed him, but that God would also protect him. So he knows that in spite of the physical abuse, God is protecting him and will protect him to finish his mission. But there's another thing. The servant also knows that God will vindicate him. In Isaiah 50, verse 7 through 9, 
Because the servant, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. This is a picture of resolute determination with the servant. Resolute determination. He is absolutely certain that even though his accusers and his tormentors think they are putting him to shame, in the end, he knows he will be vindicated. And what we see in Jesus, Isaiah tells us that he has set his face like a flint. Like a flint. This too is a fulfillment, uh, or this prophecy too will be fulfilled in Jesus. If you remember when Jesus decided finally that he, he was going to Jerusalem, he knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. He knew that he would be killed. But the scripture tells us in Luke chapter 9, in verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. As the time approached refers to the time that God had appointed. But the key here is that he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The old King James Version actually has the most literal translation. It says, He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Isaiah's prophecy said the servant had set his face like a flint. John tells us that Jesus, knowing what awaited him, set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem. So he sets out, knowing God's plan, knowing what awaits him in Jerusalem. But he is determined to fulfill God's plan. He is determined to go there, and what he is determined to do is that he knows by going there, he is actually going to initiate these events just by his presence. He could stay away and maybe avoid them, but he knows that he has a mission. And so he resolutely goes there, even knowing what will happen. And he's resolute all the way to the cross, where he dies for your sins and mine. Fulfilling the prophecy that not only will he be the light to the whole world, sharing God's salvation, but that he himself will also become God's salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. B.H. McLean writes, Christ did not become human in order to stand in solidarity with humanity, but to stand in its place. And to participate in a twofold imputation, 
He receives the burden of humanity's sin while humanity receives God's righteousness. The facts are this, that God has every reason to be offended by our sin. Every reason. Because we have disregarded him and we have violated his laws. And because God is holy, he cannot treat us as if we have done nothing. And God has two choices. God can punish us or there can be something that will fulfill the same purpose. That's what happened on this day. The idea that Christ's death on the cross accomplished that second option. Instead of us being punished, he became the punishment for us. And Christ's death on the cross makes it possible for God's anger to be appeased, to be turned away. Because he accomplished for us on the cross the same thing as if we ourselves had died on the cross. But we need to realize, however, that it doesn't change the fact that we have done wrong. We have. We have sinned. And neither does it change the fact that God somehow became different because of this. God is still a holy God. But what it does is it creates a way for us sinners, those of us who do wrong, to be reconciled with the holy God. All the obstacles to that reconciliation are taken away in Christ's death on the cross. But the question for us today is, are we willing to lay aside our opposition to God and embrace his mercy and his grace? I like what Albert Barnes says, and I'll paraphrase, that Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And if you remember from one of the earlier servant songs, the, the implication was that, that the servant would not die until he had accomplished the mission. So from the cross, when Jesus cries, it is finished, the sufferings and the agonies are over. The long work that is contemplated and the, the long promise, the long expected prophet, uh, prophecy has been fulfilled. And the toils of his ministry, the persecution, the mockeries, the shame, all of that has ended. It is finished. And man is redeemed. It's been said that on this, what should be the saddest and darkest day there ever was, comes away for our darkness and our sadness to be obliterated forever and to be replaced by light and by hope and by peace that comes from knowing Christ and through knowing him to be reconciled to a holy God. Let's pray.